Welcome to the Witch Doctor Prescriptions, modern cutting-edge wisdom for today's problems, with your host, Mark Komala. You were programmed as a child. The things that you do, the value system that you have, is a result of your childhood programming. As a child, you walked around in what's called a theta state. A theta state is a state that people go into when they're hypnotized. What happened is that as a child, as you walked around, all of this input came flooding into you. Everything that your parents told you, that your teachers told you, that your relatives told you, that role models told you, all these things went into your mind and created this basic operating system that you operate on right now. In that theta state, everything flooded in and you had no control over it. Now, the good thing is that we were designed that way by nature so that we could learn all the things we needed to learn to be able to function as a person, how to walk and talk and function and live and survive. The bad news is that if you had crappy parents, if you had bad role models, if people taught you the wrong stuff, your life, as a result, suffers from it. Once you reach the age of, of about eight, your mind puts in place what the scientists call the critical factor. The critical factor is something that looks at the input that comes in and compares it to the programming that's already there. It's kind of like a bouncer at the door. That bouncer is standing there as people come in to get in, it looks at is this message, is this thing that's wanting to come in consistent with what's already in here? If it's not, the bouncer says, no, can't come in. If it is, then it's, oh, sure, come on in. So what we've done ever since that age, since the age of zero to seven, is that we constantly reinforce the programming that's already there. Everything new that comes in gets categorized with what's already there. Anything new that comes in that doesn't match that programming gets rejected. And we run our life on autopilot. Most of the things we do, we don't think about. And the reason for that is really simple. Thinking is hard work. Most of the energy that is consumed by the body is consumed by our brain. Having to think is difficult work. It is energy-consuming work. Our body was designed to the point that once we created this set of programming, we could run most of the time without ever having to make a decision. And there are some people who never make decisions. They just kind of go with it. Now, the way our mind works is it does not categorize things as good or bad. The categorization is familiar and unfamiliar. And there was a reason for that, too. Back in early caveman days and time out in the jungle, it was the familiar that kept you safe. You went the paths that you knew. You did things to keep yourself safe. You hung around with the people that you knew. If somebody different came in, you were very wary of them because they may be somebody coming to hurt you. So the mind works now on familiar and unfamiliar. And that's where we've developed a lot of fears. 
Most of us now are not in danger of someone coming in and killing us or being eaten by a lion or a tiger. Most of our fears that we've developed really don't make that much difference. Fears of what would someone else think, or public speaking, or meeting new people. Most of that's not going to kill us, although we think it does. We feel like it does. Let me tell you a little bit about my story. I was raised as the oldest of seven kids. My mom, who basically ran the house because my dad just kind of let things go and slept most of the time. My mom was a very afraid person. She did not want us to go and have friends and go places and do things. In fact, she didn't get her driver's license until the year before I did. We were kept at home. And I remember as I was growing up, I was only allowed to go visit a friend from school twice. And even then it was when I was 10 or 11. It was always, you know, we couldn't go anyplace. We couldn't do anything. And I can imagine with seven children, you're embarrassed because in my house, some of we were embarrassing. And as I was growing up, we learned as part of our programming is to make fun of people, especially each other. We would tease and torment each other to the point of tears. Anything we could find, anything we could do to make fun of somebody, to tease them to no end, we did. I remember my sister, we had these, they were like baseball cards, except they had superheroes on them. There was a Batman card. I don't remember what was on it even, but she was afraid of it. My brothers and I would enjoy tormenting her by showing her the card. I'm not proud of it, but that's the way we were raised. But I learned very early on that I did not tell anybody anything about myself because I was afraid of giving them ammunition to tease me with, ammunition to make me feel miserable, ammunition to make my life hell. And they tried. So I learned very early. I didn't tell anybody about what I wanted or what I liked or who I liked. Because if I did, it would be a never-ending barrage of teasing. Now, that thing that I learned as a child has kept me back in life. That fear of going out and meeting people and talking to them and opening myself up to them was a liability. Through most of my life, I was afraid. My mom, because we had seven children, used to go to this church where she would get free clothes. And eventually she got dragged off to church. And as a result, all of us got dragged off to church. Now, I was kind of smart and learned things quickly. They found that out and kind of roped me into teaching classes, church school stuff. It became you know, a regular torment with my brothers and sister, but it was something that I could relate to. So I decided I was going to endure that. Eventually, after enough people would come to me and say, oh, you ought to be a minister. You're really good at this. You ought to be a minister. I decided I was going to be a minister. So I went off to school, went to college, went to seminary, and decided I was going to be a minister. Basically, when I got out, there was no minister's job at that time. So I decided, all right, I'm going to go and I'm going to sell Bible storybooks. 
because they told me, oh, this would be great training to be a minister. You get to meet people. You get to talk about the Bible. It will be a great training to be able to eventually become a minister. But as I was doing it, I noticed that because of the programming that I had inside, I was afraid to go and meet people. I was afraid to put myself out there. Eventually, after many, many years of going to school and doing things, and I finally ended up teaching church school. And then, at last, I became a minister. As a minister, I worked hard. I preached. I taught. I helped people. And after six years of being a minister, it came down to the point that I was either to be ordained or I don't know what they were going to do. I figured they're going to ordain me. Look at all the stuff I've done. I've helped people. I've built this church, that this one church that I went to. They had two people the first time we showed up. My family outnumbered the church members at that point two to one. And yet through all the time and work and patience and all the stuff, by the time we were done there after three years, over 100 people showed up for our friend day event. And the church that was just barely started, the sanctuary was finished, but the rest of the church was just bare rafters. We had raised money, got volunteers, and we finished the church. So I thought, here, I'm doing all these good things. We've accomplished so much. They've got to ordain me. So in the middle of winter, January 20th, I was called down to the conference office, and instead of ordaining me, they fired me. Here I was. I had spent 19 years up to that point, going to school, working, doing all the things that I thought should be done, and they fire me. And it turns out, really was my fault, I was afraid to open myself up. I was afraid to let people see the real me. They could see the pastor me, the intellectual me, the perfect me, but they couldn't see the real me. And as a result, I ended up alienating people. I alienated the existing elders of the church, and they caused trouble with the conference office, and they got me fired. At that point, I was devastated. Here I was, I had spent 19 years working to be ordained, to be a minister, and it's all taken away from me. I was angry. I was upset. I was hurt. I was afraid. Truth is, my fears kept me from succeeding. After that, it took a long time. I learned that I needed to change the way I think in order to be successful. Operating on autopilot didn't get me what I wanted. Didn't get me anywhere near what I wanted. So I went to a variety of seminars, read pretty much every book I could get my hands on, and designed a system where I could change this programming that's inside of me. And that's where reprogramming was born. Reprogramming is the process of changing the underlying operating system that operates in your brain that runs you on autopilot all the time. My operating system operated very much on fear. And I needed to change that in order to be successful. Now, there's a variety of ways that you can reprogram your mind. Remember we talked about that critical factor? 
that critical factor makes it difficult to change your thinking conventionally. One method that people understand and is very common is what's called repetition. Doing the same thing over and over again creates a habit. And it works, but it's slow, slow as hell. You've got to spend, you know, and depending on who you talk to, 21 days, 60 days, however long, doing the same thing, keeping yourself doing the same thing in order for you to be able to create a lasting change in your life. For me, that's too much. It's too hard because it depends on you having enough willpower to be able to do that. Willpower is a finite resource. Willpower depends on the amount of sleep that you have and the amount of glucose or blood sugar in your system. If you haven't eaten or if you didn't get enough sleep, willpower goes out the window. So repetition is a valid, usable way to be able to change your mind. But again, it's a whole lot of work. Another way is hypnosis. Hypnosis is a very valid way. It's kind of going back to the same thing that you had as a child. You were hypnotized to create your operating system. Hypnosis bypasses that critical factor and allows you to reprogram your mind. Now, some people are afraid of hypnosis. They don't want to give others control of their mind. Well, the truth is you're hypnotized all the time. Movies and commercials and the things that you watch and the things that you see use those principles to get their message into your mind. But the point is you want to put your message into your mind. A system that I've come up with, I call it psychosomatic reprogramming. The idea behind the system is that you use the language, the programming language of your brain to be able to program how you feel about the habits and the beliefs that you have. Beliefs are what control everything. The way you believe about something is going to determine the action that you take. If you believe something is scary and you don't want anything to do with it, you're going to avoid it. If you believe something is great, you're going to want to go toward it. So in psychosomatic reprogramming, you can change the way you feel about the beliefs that are in your mind. I use an acronym called Bear Paw. Bear Paw is the steps that you take to do this reprogramming. First is belief. In order to change the way you think, you need to identify that belief that's in your mind. Say, for instance, you're broke, you're poor. You have certain beliefs about money and about rich people in your mind that keep you from attracting and gaining wealth. Those beliefs create actions. Those actions, just by the very thing that you do, you end up sabotaging your own efforts at getting wealth. So you have to identify the belief. That's the first step. The second step is you need to identify the emotions that are attached with it. Emotions are the barometer. They're kind of like the check engine light of our programming system. When you feel a certain thing, it's like a check engine light comes on and says, okay, this thing either matches or doesn't match my belief. Let's go back to the, the creating wealth. Let's say you're doing something to bring some passive income into your life or some extra money. If you look at it and say, all right, I feel afraid. I feel 
uneasy, I feel yucky, I feel whatever it is, those feelings are a way of telling you this matches or doesn't match my belief. So you need to identify the emotions that are attached to the particular belief. Next, you need to look at the A is for effect. How does that affect me? What does this belief do? If I have a belief that money is the root of all evil, then I'm not going to have any. I'm going to avoid it. I'm going to spend it. I'm going to do whatever I can so that I don't have any. And to the point of I probably owe people a whole bunch of money. How is it affecting your life? Once you've identified your belief, once you've found the emotions that are attached with it, how it's affecting your life, the next thing is to replace it. Decide on a belief you want to replace that belief with. Instead of money being the root of all evil, how about money being the joy of everything? Or money is a scorecard of success. Whatever belief you want to replace that other one with, choose a belief. That's the R. P, project. Project it into the future. If I change this belief, what is my life going to be like next week, next month, next year, five years from now, ten years from now? How is my life going to change? You need to be able to see those changes and appreciate it. A is activate, and that's really the key. Activate is being able to take the emotions that you had about that belief initially and attach positive and fulfilling emotions to the new belief. And in the system, there's a variety of ways to be able to do that. That's the real key of this system here is to be able to attach and activate new emotions to the new belief. And the last step of Bear Paw is walk. Once you've created this new belief, once you've activated, then you need to walk in that belief. You need to act as that belief would act. You need to walk the walk. Now, I've created this system, and I know it works for me. I used to be 240 pounds. It really kind of scared me. I just, I looked bad. I was heavy. And by using this system, by changing the way I thought... I lost 40 pounds, and it wasn't hard. I found myself doing the things that caused me to lose weight automatically. It wasn't a fight. It wasn't forcing myself to be something different. I was somebody different. In fact, I remember one time I was looking at my plate of stuff that I was eating, and I marveled. There was half the stuff I normally would put on the plate, and it was fine. It's like I didn't even realize it was working in my life. Reprogramming does work. Reprogramming is the way to get what you want. Sure, you can get there by repetition. You can get there by willpower. People have done it. But to me, that's too hard. Too much work. It's much easier and more effective to reprogram your beliefs. Once you reprogram your beliefs, anything is possible.